Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Scott Sutton, Vice President of Revenue Operations at Zoom Info. Today, we will be covering three main topic areas with Scott. First, the role of revenue operations at Zoom Info. Second, the performance management framework and the key components that Scott and the team uses at Zoom Info. And third, how to use benchmarking to zoom past your competitors. Scott, please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, so I'm Scott Sutton. I'm the VP of Revenue Operations at Zoom Info. And I went through a, about 10 years in the automotive industry, came over to Zoom Info at the time when Discover Org was, was managing the acquisition and uh, been hooked on, on SaaS and driving revenue processes ever since. It's been a wild ride and uh, always really interested to hear other perspectives on revenue operations and, and help move people forward, give them new ideas and, and learn from folks like yourself. So glad to, glad to be on here. Well, thanks for your time today, Scott. And you know, when I saw that you had spent or invested, I should say, 10 years of your career in the automotive industry at Damler, and specifically the Freightliner division, and you had a series of roles from supply chain to data analytics. So my first question is, how did your experience in the automotive industry inform your perspective on revenue operations at a B2B tech company? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a great question. One I get fairly often is, you know, how did you come from a car manufacturer and and be in kind of the heart of SaaS? And you know, when I when I was studying in school, I, I floated around. I was in science. I did different things with data. You know, the the common thread at the end was solving problems, was leveraging technology. I'm a a big technology nerd. I love the newest and the latest and greatest. I'm always looking to find a a more efficient way to do things. So at Daimler, I worked in supply chain. I led IT procurement. I was trying to buy the best tools and, and source the best applications and talent for our, our organization. And then as I kind of went through that, that organization, I, I realized I wanted to lean more and more into kind of the digital transformation side of the business. And at a point, I realized that I was going to have to take a big step away from you know, a large kind of old school company and to a, a smaller software company to, to make that investment even more real. And Daimler was a great company. It taught me a lot about how to run a business professionally that I use today, but I'm really happy to be where I'm at and be in the, the heart of, of the SaaS movement and, and all the things that come along with it. So let me double click on this because early in my career, I led the automotive industry vertical for a division of GE. And one of the things I fell in love with was the process and operations orientation, learning things like just-in-time inventory management, even Kanban, which is a famous Japanese way to increase inventory turns. So I have found when I joined the Silicon Valley kind of B2B SaaS industry, operations were almost an afterthought or a second thought. It was all about development and sales and marketing. Tell me a little bit about when you joined Zoom Info, where was their kind of orientations towards operations 
And then did you leverage a lot of your operational experience from Damler and bring that to ZoomInfo or was that culture already in existence? I think there was a combination. So ZoomInfo is potentially the most data-driven company I've ever seen. Part of it is that they are a data company and they have a lot of access and a lot of aptitude in that area. What I brought that I think was new was an ability to run a project and design a process uh, like a manufacturing facility, but to leverage really smart mentors and people around me who had domain expertise. I worked a lot with Chris Hayes, now our president and COO, who's brilliant in the area of digital selling. And he and I together, you know, we would design processes and digital solutions to problems much like you would design a truck plant. You would lay out, what are my tack times? How long should it take to do X process? Do I have a streamlined process? Um, if you've read the goal or the Phoenix project, thinking about theory of constraints and managing your bottlenecks and removing them from your process, a lot of Q theory and line balancing, a lot of that that I studied and eventually taught at a university level has come back now. And I use that in designing SDR processes at scale, AE processes, how do we route demos? What's the most efficient sales cycle? And, and it's now become really embedded. And that's one of the biggest things that's exciting is this pervasive, continuous improvement culture we've created. And a lot of the toolkit that we brought over is now being more widely deployed. I'm going to make a reference that I know you appreciate. Professor Deming would be very impressed with what you've done in the B2B tech industry. And I would also say process re-engineering is something I haven't heard much about recently. But Scott, how would you actually talk about the business impact that revenue operations has brought to Zoom Info? Because we all know with the IPO and Henry is out there talking all the time about your customer acquisition and go-to-market process. How have you seen it tangibly impact the business performance at Zoom Info? Yeah, I think, you know, our revenue process and revenue operations is the core of everything we do. I think more and more too, as we grow, there's a need to create what hasn't ever been done as we expand into new acquisitions and start to have a co-prime prime model, or we expand internationally and we start attacking new markets. And RevOps has created a, a project and a process thinking framework. We actually have a continuous improvement methodology that we've disseminated throughout the organization, where even line managers who have gone through our process can attack a problem process map, do Kaizen verse and understand pain points, do ideation and resolution design thinking, and then track through to implementation based on kind of a matrix of impact and effort. And so we're giving this toolkit and now it's pervading not just our team and coming from RevOps, it's actually in the departments. And it's so fun to watch them lead their own initiatives and find their own success. And it allows RevOps to then attack more meaty problems or continuing to expand that culture. No, so Scott, so with your revenue operations framework and process at Zoom Info, individual contributors can provide input into process efficiency opportunities, and you'll look at redesign and including those directly from an individual contributor like an SDR? Yeah, we take a lot of input. We were a huge practitioner of walking the floor, so to speak, and uh, getting out and watching the process. We do day in the life of, but some of the best ideas we have come from the SDRs and the AEs. I think when you're living the process day in and day out, you find workarounds or you find the, the process breaks. And so one of the things we pride ourselves on is staying really tight to the individual and understanding what's the actual experience like for a user. Um, one of the big pushes we're thinking about too in the Salesforce side is actually having internal tool UI UX 
because every click matters. The, the where the data is positioned on the page matters. The flow through the sales process is really important. And so thinking about it almost like a product designer for an external facing application is kind of the bar we set ourselves. Scott, do you have as part of your process kind of a, a shadowing or ride-along program where a member of your revenue operations team will actually sit beside a SDR or account executive or even a customer success manager and see how they actually conduct certain processes and then identify opportunities for improvement from those shared sessions? Yeah, one of the one of the coolest things I think we did about a year and a half ago or maybe two years ago was we actually put in product managers responsible for every different role in the sales org. And those folks were responsible for the sales process and experience and product roadmap of the selling process for that area. So for instance, my CX product manager designed and built an entire customer journey application with our build team and then sat with the reps using it. And then they, through experience and feedback, were iterating. And then they'll do feedback rounds where they ask leadership, senior leadership, leadership, and then frontline to give input and feedback. And then we do a calibration and adjustment every quarter to make sure that we're still meeting the mark and we have a roadmap of development for that solution. So it really, it really has become kind of a company and a company serving our internal sellers as users of our what is our product. Oh, that's really interesting that you brought product management in. And you actually mentioned, you know, CX, customer experience. I was speaking to Allison Elworthy, who's the head of revenue operations at HubSpot on the podcast the other day. And she mentioned having the voice of the customer group within revenue operations. So do you have a similar concept where you have that customer experience or voice of the customer group in RevOps that spends a lot of time shadowing customer interactions and customer calls? The, we don't specifically have a that exact uh, function. And there's a lot of mechanisms that we're getting that feedback. In our CX org, we have an integrations team, an onboarding team, support. We have our CSMs. We have a lot aimed at that area. And so our product manager is sitting with those folks and they are breaking down customer interactions. I'm heavily invested in our cab process to also get feedback there. There's a lot of different ways that we interact. I'm actually on uh, quite a few customer calls doing solutioning and helping them to find success. And I find that incredibly valuable. Also as a thought exercise to think about different ways that data can be used to sell. And I, you know, just like you, I have an interest in kind of moving, moving the science forward. And so having those customer interactions, I, I think it makes all of us better and, and makes them more successful in turn. I'm going to zoom out a little bit because mm -hmm. I can spend all day on the operational details, but I saw you present at the OpStars event last week or a couple of weeks ago, and you presented your performance management framework. And it really spoke to me as a metrics and benchmarking guy. So can you provide a high level summary of what your performance management framework is? And is that something RevOps, your revenue operations group uses to kind of manage the entire performance of your go-to-market teams? Yeah. So walking through, I think there's a few different angles at it. I'm a big fan of the AOR framework, which was described in uh, Cracking the Sales Management Code, focusing on results, objectives, but then ultimately the activities that you can measure day in and day out that drive long-term success. So I think about it in a couple of different ways. 
We have um, those activity metrics that are readily available where we're tracking day in, day out activity and performance. And that's pushed down to the rep and the frontline manager level, and they can keep a beat on their business. Are they doing the right things day in, day out? Are they working the right ops? Are they putting in their calls? Then as as a larger business, we're also doing our weekly forecasting. And we have multiple lenses on this. We do it across new business. We do it across the the net retention and kind of upsell bookings renewal. We have a dedicated one around customer experience and calling the logo number, working with our models to predict churn. And then we also have an SDR and MQL specific meeting where we are calling again, the number we're reviewing performance. That's on a weekly basis to keep a beat on where we're going. We also have daily pacing, so we can actually interject based on all the burn rates of of historical months. And then all that culminates up to um, a monthly operating review where we do a a deep dive all the way into the C-suite of all of our operational metrics. And those meetings are way more about what's going wrong than what's going right. And using that time to dive into secondary and tertiary data to unpack why is something changing in the business or why didn't we hit this exact number in this sub-segment or how do we make the SDR motion XYZ more efficient? So it's that kind of operating cadence of having daily pacing, having the weekly forecasting, and then having these monthly operating reviews and deep dives that gives us a good ability to manage transactionally, but then also strategically and use those monthly results as a way to kind of fuel positive change. There's so many things in what you just said, Scott, and I'm trying to decide which one I want to double click mm-hmm. on, but I think I'm going to start with this concept of the operational metrics. And one of the things you mentioned at the very grassroots level is activity. So let's see if we can settle this LinkedIn debate I see all the time. Do activity measurements matter? Are they vanity metrics? So what's your finding as regarding activity metrics and how predictive and what is the causal relationship to the ultimate outcome metrics you track? Yeah, I think it's an, an interesting debate. And I, I led our SDR team at a point and, and so got into the, the dials versus output discussion quite a bit. I do think activity matters. There are individuals who have unique styles who can craft the perfect email and, and avoid picking up the phone more often. But I think at the end of the day, um, we take a balanced view where I can see all of the Zoom meetings that you were on, the duration. I actually, we overlaid sentiment based on parsing all the texts out of extracts from Zoom to see did those calls go well or not. I'm looking at the, the talk time and duration on phone calls and also your email volume inbound, outbound. And we rule that all up and we we maybe take a different cut at it and that we look at all of your opportunities and we're measuring an aggregated activity score. And then we're seeing if that's going up or down and we're seeing the average communication. So the argument may be that I'm an emailer, not a dialer or, or otherwise we're taking a more balanced view on it. And I, I think at the end of the day, if your ops are progressing and closing at a good rate and your activity levels overall are high, there is a positive correlation. You have to communicate to move sales forward, but I think the mix can be different and there's some latitude, but you have to pick up your phone. You have to send emails. And at that point, you got to get on a Zoom call and, and demo some product to get to get a sale out the door. So you, with your very data-driven process, have found some correlation towards outbound activity to opportunities created and thus ARR created, correct? There's no doubt. Um, I look at the summary stats in a for my dialing tools once a month. Without a doubt, the top 10 by dials and by connected calls are my top reps for the SDR business. Without a doubt. There's no way around that. 
and the AEs, there's also correlation. I think the SDR, especially outbound, it's, it is by far the strongest correlation. Those are make, those who are making the calls are getting the demos. And, and the productivity level, we have you know, certain reps who are able to do you know, 70 to 100 outbound completed meetings in one month. That doesn't happen unless you're relentlessly out there on the phones, emailing, leveraging automation tools. You mentioned something I've never heard before. So I've got to go there and that's activity score. Right? We talk about lead scoring and opportunity scoring. Can you tell me what are the factors or variables that go into activity score? Yeah. So the way we, we ended up acquiring a company called Comico a couple of years ago, um, it's now embedded in a product called Inbox AI that we have. I think you can do this via a variety of data tools, but what the algorithm is basically say it's weighting every type of communication. So inbound calls, outbound calls, inbound emails, outbound emails, Zoom calls or video calls in general. And it assigns a weight to each of those based on kind of the relative engagement level. An inbound email is going to be far more valuable, let's say, than an outbound email in showing active engagement. Whereas a Zoom call also, you know, also has a very high level because you're on that call. We can see the participants. We can see how many participants. So all that's aggregated into kind of an activity level. And then we look at all the different accounts that are in scope of your kind of active uh, prospecting opportunity base. And we give it a percentile. So we can say, is this indicative of a really engaged account or really engaged opportunity? And then I can watch that on a seven-day burn, on a 30-day burn, or a quarterly burn. So for customer accounts that have more gradual, longer-term cycles where I want to see engagement, I may say, show me the percentile differential over a month or a quarter. And am I falling off in my engagement? engagement or going up in this aggregate weighted score. Whereas an opportunity with a 30-day close, I need to be seven days and I need to be watching that accelerate to a close. And without a doubt, when we see deals, we see it immediately pick up in this aggregated score and it's peaking out 99th percentile deal closes. And so we can watch it. And if it falls off, we actually have measures in our dashing that kind of intervenes and says, you slipped on communication, re-engage and get this opportunity back on track. So it's a really good way for us to measure momentum and deals as well. Scott, is that activity score fairly dynamic based upon the input signals you get? Will the weighting change over a quarter or year? Yeah, it is. Um, I think just based on the natural sensitivity, the shorter the period, the more dynamic it can be. If you have no calls or activity for seven days, that's going to go to zero. And whereas if you're weighted over a quarter, it's going to be a more gradual change. It'll take more days. But again, if you're looking at a a one-year customer lifecycle, it's probably okay if you don't send emails for a few days. Uh, You don't want to just be inundating communication. And, And for certain products, it's okay to not communicate for a couple of weeks, but you probably want to be checking in at least once a month with your client to make sure they're finding success, helping them, trying to see potential upsells, uh, expand to new users, et cetera. And then my last question on the activity score, and then we'll move on. Each target audience, I would think, is different. SMB versus mid-market versus enterprise. So do you have unique activity score algorithms or formulas based upon the cohort? The cool thing is the way the score works is it's normalizing. If we have a bigger account, we can normalize down and say what good looks like. I think in a new business cycle, while enterprise may have more folks in the deal cycle versus small, 
the the relative activity level is kind of similar, but we can swizzle and cut based on enterprise min market or SMB. We can cut those accounts against one another. And I think knowing contextually what is good for an enterprise account also helps you set the median. And then you can kind of see good and bad from there as well. But in and of itself, movement up or movement down, regardless of against peers, is going to be indicative of kind of growing engagement or waning engagement. I don't know if this is a fair question, Scott, but we the other discussion I get into a lot is leading indicators versus lagging indicators, outcome metrics versus input variables. So do you have a stratification of the different metrics that you have in place under the revenue operations umbrella? Like do you have a first tier or second tier metrics? How do you stratify? We don't have a, a very intentional saying this is a tier one metric, this is a tier two metric. I think over time we have found what tends to be the most indicative for us. If I'm thinking about new business, I can go back to my hot MQL creation, warm MQL creation, my conversion rates to demo, my demo completion outcomes, my opportunity creation and pipe build. I can go through and look at my month by month win rate development. And so I think walking those through, those are my first tier kind of leading indicators is walking the funnel through. So if I can, if I see any MQL change, positive or negative, we even back it up in our, in our overarching business review dot back to website traffic and back to kind of more awareness and, and things that are going way upstream. But we're walking that funnel through. And I, I mentioned the monthly operating review. That's where we're we're seeking to understand that system. And we coming back to the automotive analogy, one of the, the most important things in my job is systems thinking and trying to understand if these three things went up, these two had to have gone down. And I might not be on the front line selling, but I understand the tug and pull of all of these corresponding metrics and saying, if my MQLs go down and I have more SDRs to work less MQLs, my conversion rate should go up, which will keep my opportunity creation from getting too far out of whack. Or if I have too many MQLs, my conversion rate goes down, maybe I'm passing lower quality, so it could have downstream win rate. So we're constantly watching the interplay of all the metrics you know, through the, the funnel. And then when we want to understand something, we go into that second tier, which might be segment specific. We might look at individual lead channels. We may look at individual performance or team performance or manager effects, capacity, our ability to recruit. All of those things would kind of be the next layer down. You know, I hadn't thought about this question before, but I'm going to bring another automotive industry analogy here, and that is the functional silo syndrome. And Phil Enser at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company back in the 80s kind of identified if you optimize the metrics and operational performance of each function at the most granular unit of work level, you actually sub-optimize the entire end-to-end process. So can I ask, with revenue operations and your systems thinking you just discussed, have you found that really helps with the alignment of marketing to sales and sales to customer success? And if yes, how do you measure that increased impact of better alignment? Yeah, I think you have to think in a broad system and you have to be willing to make changes across department lines that can sub-optimize one set of metrics to improve the metrics that matter. One of the things that, that I think we did that demonstrates this to me is we looked at our overall output of our system. And what we found is when we, we built some machine learning models and other models to analyze our lead quality, 
And we started to isolate pockets of leads that, that weren't converting. And so we actually gave up maybe 15 to 20% of our MQLs from the marketing side. And we routed them to alternative methods of working outside the SDR org. And we saw an improvement in our top line number. Our win rates, our ASP went up, our overall new business output went up. And marketing was delivering at less MQLs and taking that kind of swallowing their pride a bit. But at the end of the day, it was the right decision for the business. And most folks wouldn't uh, maybe go down that path or wouldn't want to take down a metric to improve the overall system. And we have ways that we continue to measure it. But I think now in our org structure, we have marketing, sales, customer success, all of that rolling up to the president and COO. And so there is a single kind of unifying person who's helping us to focus on making those decisions. And I also span those orgs. And so I'm also thinking in that way. And so I think there's that really good alignment on my goal is revenue. My goal is driving the business outcome and growth, maximizing our shareholder value. And so there's not a lot of misalignment when it comes down to making decisions department by department. Another great debate on LinkedIn, the power of that executive having responsibility for the entire customer journey across marketing, sales, and customer success. Often we think of it as a CRO or in your case, president COO. So you think that's a really important variable to truly see an integrated, holistic, and in view of the customer experience? I do. I think it requires the right individual to, to be able to span that and to understand. I think about the implications and there's resourcing discussions and where we get the most bang for our buck by deploying headcounts or dollars in investment. And again, I think it comes back to understanding the complete system. If you have someone who understands the bottleneck. So if we are to grow 40% year over year, these are the implications on support and integrations, onboarding and customer success. And so we need to be proactively planning to grow those orgs and have operational efficiencies. And then these are the implications for MQL development and what we need to focus on demand gen and digital advertising. And this is how many SDRs. And I think it takes away some of the emotion because it becomes more of a balanced system and it's not picking one over the other, prioritizing one in a vacuum. There's a fully threaded plan that creates you know, harmony across the system. I won't say it's perfect, but the plan is always calculated in that it would operate without, with minimal bottlenecks and we would be fairly balanced. Thanks, Scott. You know, I wish I was Joe Rogan and I could get listeners to pay attention to a podcast for two or three hours. But unfortunately, our time's actually coming pretty close to the end already. So I need to pivot once again to my favorite topic, which is benchmarking. I'm saying I'm saving the best for last. So I've heard so many people in our industry say, ah, benchmarks and benchmarking is not relevant to me because my company is so unique. And often they're referring to data benchmarks. What should my close rate be? What should my conversion rate be from an NQL to a qualified opportunity? Or what should my gross dollar net dollar retention rate be? But when I heard you speaking on Upstar, you have a different perspective on what benchmarking is and even the value of benchmarking, not only against industry data, but against best in class companies. So can you share your insights on the power of benchmarking, Scott? Yeah, I think when I think about benchmarking, I've always been a fan of learning from those who've gone before and, and 
you know, gone through struggles and figured out a good way to do things and then building from there. I do think it's important to look at RevOps organizations and, and who's doing what and how they're progressing. I view RevOps as a decathlon. And so measuring the top decathletes and how they balance all the different disciplines is really important. But if I want to improve in any one specific area, you know, shot put or javelin or long jump or, you know, the mile, whatever it might be, I'm going to be looking at what are those, how are those people training? What's their technique? How are they maximizing their performance? A good example of this is I have a whole engineering and development team, you know, 20 to 30 people doing Salesforce build and Salesforce design. And so I went straight to what are the top engineering companies in the world doing? What are the top DevOps practices? And I'm looking at, you know, the state of DevOps report that's coming out annually and reading books like the Phoenix Project by Gene Kim and, and the, you know, the DevOps manual and trying to understand what is continuous delivery and, and deployment and how do I do automated QA? These aren't things most RevOps teams are thinking about, but engineering teams are thinking about. And those things have helped us be a lot more successful. Same with supply chain. A lot of RevOps teams aren't thinking about it, but I'm benchmarking companies like Toyota or Daimler or others who are pushing lean management and continuous improvement. Um, so I think by having that perspective and always seeking the best in class or best in field, it allows you to see the art of the possible. And even if you land a little bit short, you're still going to be landing higher than if you look at maybe just the best decathlete, let's say, or the best RevOps practitioner. So for you, benchmarking is more of a process orientation where you look at best-in-class organizations and how they actually operate versus looking at a data point and saying, I've got to get to that data point as a benchmark. It's process improvement versus outcome-centric perspective. Is that correct, Scott? Yeah, I think benchmarks from a numeric perspective are useful. And we do look at kind of the Forrester Gartners of the world and, and others to get those numbers. There are numbers where if we look at the benchmark, we would be going backwards. And so I think for our, you know, for our sake, I'm looking at, you know, how do we optimize process and procedure to get beyond those? But I do think frameworks are good. I think benchmarks like X percent of spending or X percent conversion rate or X styles or whatever it might be. It's good to set a benchmark when you don't really have anything. But I, I think I'm looking more at who is the best, what's the process that they got there and how do I go implement that? And I think the numbers will play out over time if you're able to implement that process. Thank you. Well, this is the Metrics that Measure Up podcast. So I have to ask a couple specific metrics questions. And it's really hard because with your performance management framework, I'm sure you've got hundreds of different input variables, which are metrics and multiple outcome metrics, whether it's acquisition-based or retention or expansion. But if I asked you this question, Scott, for customer acquisition, how does Henry kind of measure RevOps impact on the outcome? What are those top three to four outcome metrics that you think are critical to show the impact of RevOps on customer acquisition? Yeah, I think, you know, there's some more short-term metrics and, and longer term. I mentioned a lot of the different funnel metrics, and those are the ones that Henry, Chris, myself, we all look at. So if I'm thinking short range, it's efficiency is big, right? And so we're making investments and in growing the org. And oftentimes we're having the discussion of do we invest more to, to grow more? And so a lot of that's a product of coming down to efficiency and, and revenue operations helped play in that. So there I'm looking at metrics 
like my ACV per rep that I'm able to deliver or my revenue dollars on expense dollars allocated toward new business or existing business. Those to me are some of the more pure final outcome metrics because they're fully loaded and they represent a return on investment for the headcount, for the, the spend, for the uh, marketing resources in order to have that outcome. And then you know, down the line, one of the things, and especially as our business moves and shifts and we grow a bigger customer base, we also grow our product suite to sell in. LTV to CAC is a huge kind of thing that I look at because as we grow, having a slightly less efficient new business motion is actually okay as long as I have a really solid upsell and that retention motion. And so there's a tug and pull there where if I have this great customer motion, I can actually afford to get folks in slightly less efficiently in order to grow them into our client base. So that's a balance that I look at and that'll play out in the LTV CAC ratio long-term. But that is, that's another metric that I look at. And I know Henry, Henry is keen on as well. I love the fact that you brought up the customer lifetime value to CAC ratio on the pure customer acquisition efficiency. Is revenue operations responsible for understanding the CAC payback period or even the CAC ratio to know how efficient you're acquiring new customers? At the top line, that's something that I think about more with finance. I think about with our leadership team in order to make it more accessible to the general team. I think we think about you know, what is our cost per lead on the marketing side? What is our output per rep? What is our efficiency and conversion rate on those leads that we're getting through? So we break it down to indicators that would roll up to a really positive LTV CAC. Again, part of that LTV piece is also our the duration of the client, life with us, how you know how much we're upselling. And so I, I think we break it down a level that's more departmentally relevant or process relevant for, for each of our individual stakeholders and, and kind of product manager process owners. One of the things we touched upon there was customer retention, of course, also customer expansion. But here's my last question on metrics, and that is, since you have customer success and responsibility also within revenue operations, have you found what are the most important two to three input variables, metrics? that predict customer retention? Is it NPS? Is it CSAT? Is it product usage? Can you share that with us, Scott? Yeah, we've done a lot. And what we ended up landing on was usage. It was based on engagement. So there's a few few different ratios that we look at. I'm looking at the total licenses purchased versus provision versus have logged in in the last 30 days, which I would you know say is active. I think each company has a different version of active. We use Dow now. There's Wow now, and this weekly active users over monthly active users, daily active users over monthly active users to show fanaticism and aggressive usage. Facebook popularized some of these. So there's different measures, but at the end of the day, for churn, I do think it comes down to the engagement in the account, how many of the folks are logging in, using it. So I'm looking at for us, we're on a credit based system. So I see active seats and credit usage and regular product usage in general and integrations. Those are the biggest items for churn for us. And those product analytics, are those shared in real time through your CRM with the customer success managers? Yeah, we have an amazing tool uh, that actually was of their own design. We made in, in Einstein Analytics embedded in Salesforce called the Account Dossier. It has Everything you could ever want to know about usage and active seed amounts, you can see every login, you can see all the credits by user, the most active users, 
Uh, you can see their ACV, what products and subscriptions, the duration of contracts. It's really an amazing snapshot of all the different lenses that you could look at. And that, that took a long time to create. We have a really great data, data engineering and then data viz team. And they're pushing everything out to Snowflake and building pretty complex data models. We built a data lake amassing amplitude data and Google data, all of our CRM data, all of Zoom info, and keying it all together and being able to deliver this back into Salesforce in a meaningful way. So it is one of the things I'm most proud about is, is our visibility down to the rep level for our accounts. Well, Scott, unfortunately, like I said before, I could speak with you for hours, but we're going to have to wrap up today's episode. And we're going to ask three quick questions to let the audience get to know Scott a little bit better on a personal level. And you threw out a lot of book references during this. So I'm going to change up my first question is, you know, which CEO or which book do you highly recommend everyone should be reading or following today? For CEO, we've been we've been listening to a lot of what Frank Slubin has to say over at Snowflake. I think we we have a similar culture, you know, tough, you know, mission driven, trying to achieve top results. And so I think he's got a lot of good things to say. On the book front, if you're in RevOps and you have a technical lean, I would read The Phoenix Project. It's an homage to the goal, which is a famous supply chain book. And it's amazing for thinking about theory of constraints, bottlenecks, and process design. I, I make all of my team read that book. It's a, it's a great book. Well, this one's a tough question, but what tool should every revenue operations leader in a SaaS company be using, not your own? I think if you're a SaaS leader, I think you need an analytics tool. And I, I think Tableau is setting the benchmark there. There's other tools, uh, Looker, Einstein, others but you need visibility and transparency into the data to run your business. So Tableau is the one that you're using? Uh, we are currently using Tableau. We've had just about every tool. We still have a few tools, but that's the one I go back to, to slice and chop up our data and, and get it out to the masses. Great. And the last question, Scott, is someone's just getting ready to graduate from college or maybe just graduated. And they're like, wow, there's a lot of buzz about revenue operations. I'd love to be leading a RevOps team in the cloud industry someday. What advice would you give them right now? The world is amazing. And there's so much information that's readily available. I'm a huge advocate of researching relentlessly and learning. And so I would be consuming information on the topic. I would be working on getting basic Salesforce admin certification. I'd be looking at revenue analytics and, and reading. But I think one of the most impactful things is getting with a company who has a great RevOps team and jumping into a role. I actually think it is valuable to jump into an SDR role and to, to see that experience firsthand. You can easily pivot into a ops role from there or jump directly into an ops role. That may be tougher at certain companies where they want more experience. But just consume information, be hungry, try to reach out to leaders in the space get some time with them and demonstrate your, your aptitude and hunger. And someone will want to work with you, want to coach and grow you. Some of the best folks are taking a little bit of a risk on a, a, a more junior person, but that fire will lead to great outcomes. And so as long as you're motivated, you're willing to put in the time and energy, you will find success. Great advice. I am. I remember early in my career, people talked about the ABCs, right? If you're on the revenue side, A always B, B, C closing. And I use ABL as my mantra today, which is A, A always B, B, L learning. Because if you're always getting up every day and seeking to learn one new thing, by the end of the year, you're that much better. So 
Thank you so much for your time today, Scott. It was a thrill for me. If people want to follow you or reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, uh, search Scott Sutton at Zoom Info on, uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm happy to, to engage. I, I answer most of the DMs that come through. It might take me a minute, but genuinely happy to, to help you guys progress. I'm on Twitter, a little less active there, but LinkedIn's probably the best spot to go. Okay. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode of the Metrics of Measure Up with Scott Sutton, the head of revenue operations at Zoom Info. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying the content and the guests that we're having, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to the Metrics to Measure Up podcast on your favorite podcasting app and provide us that five-star rating and even a recommendation of how we can make the show even better and more valuable to you. Thank you, everyone. And thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.